You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. What's good, everyone? My name is Jacob Moses, community builder at Strong Towns. And welcome to one of four special episodes of the Strong Towns podcast, where we'll interview spokespeople from the four cities and towns who've advanced to the final four of our Strongest Town Contest. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Strongest Town Contest, it's an annual contest we do at Strong Towns, where our members, listeners, and readers are invited to enter their city or town in a bracket-based competition designed to spotlight communities from around the world that are building financial resilience at the local level and actively embodying the Strong Towns approach to economic growth and development. We started with 16 cities and towns. Now, we're down to four. Guthrie, Oklahoma, Pensacola, Florida, Safety Harbor, Florida, and Portsmouth, New Hampshire. In this episode, I chat with Nancy Pearson, who's representing Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Nancy shares her vision for downtown and the steps the city is taking to get there how Portsmouth capitalizes on its port. Plus, Nancy answers a question from a Strong Towns member about how, being a coastal town, Portsmouth prepares for potentially catastrophic floods. And most important, after listening to this episode, if you think Portsmouth should advance to the final round, cast your vote at strongtowns.org slash strongest town by noon central time on Friday, April 5th. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy. Hey there, Nancy. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And congratulations on Portsmouth advancing to the final four of the Strongest Town Contest. How are you all feeling over there? I'm pretty excited, pretty happy to be here. And I have to say, I don't want to sound like, you know, all that, but I'm just not surprised. Portsmouth is <laughs> pretty spectacular. Yeah. Well, Nancy, thank you again for giving listeners this opportunity to get some final insights into what makes Portsmouth a strong town. You know, thinking past, past on these past, past few weeks, listeners have had a great opportunity to learn a lot about Portsmouth. Submitted a great application where y'all discussed the small European city vibe of Portsmouth and your hopes to connect more neighborhoods to downtown. And then last week, published a photo essay of some great imagery of how a high number of students are able to walk to your schools and your working port. Mm-hmm. And now, Nancy, listeners get an opportunity to hear from the source about what makes Portsmouth a strong town. To get us started, for folk that may be unfamiliar with Portsmouth, can you give listeners a brief description of Portsmouth to help them visualize the place? Oh, I'd be happy to. So Portsmouth is a small coastal city. We're physically an hour north of Boston, up the coast, an hour south of Portland, Maine, and we're one hour from the mountains of of New Hampshire. So geographically, we're in a really sweet spot. Um, And of course, you know, we have a very long history. People have lived here for thousands of years, but European settlers arrived here in 1623 and and began the recorded history that we know today, you know, and um, we're in our fifth century. So I think we have a we have a pretty good track record on on resiliency. 
I like to say that Portsmouth's like the Madonna of small cities because it <laughs> itself and yeah. it just keeps reinventing itself as, as needed. That's right, Nancy. And I love that phrase you used, how Portsmouth found itself in a situation where it needed to reinvent itself because that's a huge part of resiliency. Absolutely. You know, if we put all of our eggs in one basket, say that doesn't work out, we're done for. So be able to be able to roll with the punches and understand that there's going to be some challenges ahead and be able to plan ahead for them. Huge aspect of being a strong town. And I want to take a shift, Nancy, and talk about some of the current projects that Portsmouth is working on towards becoming more financially resilient. You know, we talk a lot about strong towns, how sometimes cities get caught up in contemplating a bunch of big ideas that they forget really just the next step. You know, what can we do first towards becoming more financially resilient? What are some projects that Portsmouth is currently working on to build that foundation of financial resiliency? Well, honestly, I think it's just continuing to focus on, on, on being diversified. You know, as I said, our, our former Air Force base is now, uh, it's an international airport. We've got a corporate park. There's 100 businesses, 6,000 jobs, highly skilled workers. This is a, cool. you know, these are white collar jobs. These are engineers and biomedics and other, you know, uh, media, digital digital agencies. Um, and, and they're expanding all the time. There's rehabilitation hospitals. So these are, this is a highly skilled workforce that's continuing to grow. And that's just one area. Then we have our downtown, which, you know, used to be, as I mentioned, a little gritty. Um, and of course it's just, it's got such a diverse, um, arena of buildings and architecture, but it's also home to, you know, small firms, digital agencies, law firms, lots and lots of um, financial institutions, nonprofit organizations. There's, there's over 50 arts and cultural nonprofit organizations uh, in and around the seacoast. Most of them are in Portsmouth. We have restaurants, we have hotels now, which is kind of new in the last decade or two. Um, So, you know, I think that we've got our eggs in a lot of different baskets. We've got office parks outside of the one that I mentioned that house big, big companies like Liberty Mutual and and our local hospital, which is another large employer. So, you know, there's a there's a lot going on here. And I always like to mention, because this is something that I was heavily involved with before I joined the city council um, and our cultural commission. We did the uh, Americans for the Arts Economic Impact Study. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but every five years, um, Americans for the Arts uh, does this economic impact of arts and culture, nonprofit cultural organizations. We spend a year surveying audiences and asking them, you know, not only. Um, what did you spend your money on outside of the ticket to this event? Did you go out to dinner? Did you hire a babysitter? Did you park in a parking lot? You know, all of this little, uh, uh, little things that add up and, and Americans for the arts has an army of actuarians. And then they come back, uh, you know, several months later with some data and, Last time we did it in 2016, the annual impact of arts and culture in the seacoast, mainly as Portsmouth as the driver, was $53 million a year. And, you know, we support over 1,200 jobs just in that sector. And according to this organization, Americans for the Arts, that number is closer to like a Portland or 
um, a Burlington, Vermont, a city that's, you know, five times bigger than. So we really do. Like I said, we punch above our weight in so many areas. Um, There's just a lot. There's a lot going on here. And and I think that, you know, it's it's a great um, uh, testament to all the different just being here for four centuries, you know, we've learned a thing or two going around, you know, going around the track a little bit. And, um, so we weathered the great recession fairly well. Um, and I think that we're, you know, as long as we continue to not just be all about tourism, not just be all about high tech, not just be all about, you know, the Portsmouth Navy shipyard, but to make sure that, that we're balancing things, I think we'll continue to be a resilient um, city well into the 21st century. That's awesome, Nancy. I think that phrase punching above our, our weight has been the theme of the strong town, uh, strongest town contest as well. That's wonderful. So you mentioned how Portsmouth has its eggs in lots of baskets and how there's products you're working on right now to foster all of those efforts. Thinking long-term, you know, there's going to be challenges, and that's why we're taking steps today to improve the financial resilience of our towns. Nancy, when you look forward to the future, what challenges do you anticipate Portsmouth experiencing that you hope that your current efforts efforts will prepare you for? Well, I, th- I think there's a couple. Um, right now, I'd say our immediate short-term challenge is, folk, is really around affordability and housing because that's affecting our workforce. Um, so, you know, the magic of Portsmouth has always been its citizens and we want to make sure that we remain inclusive and accessible, uh, so that young people and the artists that I mentioned, service workers that are so important to our now tourism, you know, and city employees, you know, teachers, police officers, firefighters, all have the opportunity to live here and contribute if they want to. And because, of where we're geographically located, as I mentioned, so close to Boston, right on the right on the coast, close to um, Portland and mountains. It's a very desirable place to live, and I think you can imagine that as a 400-year-old city, we're we're mostly built out with very yes. little opportunity for new to to bring new housing stock online. So. I think we have a pretty significant supply and demand issue that's been driving the cost of housing and real estate through the roof in recent years. And that brings uh, all the issues associated with that high rents, low risk projects, you know, in commercial development, gentrification. Um, Of course, this is a regional issue and Portsmouth can't solve it on its own. But New Hampshire is a, a little bit unique. Um, like, for example, our neighbors uh, in Massachusetts, they can require in, in their zoning, they can require a certain percentage of affordable housing or live workspace or nonprofit space could be carved out in new development projects. But New Hampshire is a home rule state. And that means that if there are, is no enabling legislation uh, that exists or that's coming out of our capital and concrete. Oh, we can't we can't do policies. We can't pa- pass policies at the at the municipal level, and I find that very frustrating. Sure. I just want to tackle problems and make some bold steps, and you know, but but we can't do that here. All we can do is provide incentives um, in our you know in our local policies. You know, we have conditional use 
incentives. And, you know, if people want to go a floor higher, then they need to provide some workforce housing or public space. And, you know, it's a, it's a nice idea. It's, it's the only tool we have right now, but it's not, it's not really yielding the results. So, so that's a big problem. And I'd say right, right next behind it, like neck and neck almost is, is, you know, all of the issues related to climate change. Um, our, our, our weather, uh, you know, the weather challenges today are, have a huge financial impact, you know, those more storms, more flooding, wind damage, more snow, all of that strains our capacity to provide services, it impacts our budgets. And of course, um, you know, some of our historic neighborhoods are right in flood zones and extremely vulnerable to sea level rise. So those two things, I think, are the are the biggest challenges. Um, not the only, we have a few others as well. Um, but, but those are the ones that I think are the most pressing at the moment. Nancy, you mentioned the flood risks, and this is a good transition into a question I have for you from one of our members. And listeners, if you're new to the Strong Towns movement, members are essential to the work that we do. They're our biggest advocates. They're sharing the Strong Towns message in their neighborhoods. And it's especially important in the Strongest Town contest as well, because they're they're the best judges of what makes a strong town. And Nancy, I have a question for you from Richard in relation to the flood topic that you mentioned. Okay. Richard asks, the city's location at the mouth of the Piscataqua River is both an economic asset and a scenic asset, as of course you well know. And the strongest parts, your downtown and compact walkable neighborhoods, are of course all close and exposed to potentially catastrophic flood risks. How is Portsmouth planning for potential weather impacts? Yeah, that's a really good question. First of all, when I first moved to New Hampshire, I also pronounced it Piscataqua, and I was wrongly corrected. It is Piscataqua. So there's that. I almost YouTubed it before. I used to live in Boulder, close to the Chautauqua uh, exactly. Mountains. I was like, you know what? I think I feel semi-confident, that's- but I appreciate yeah. you letting me know. For your listeners, it's it's – I. I thought it was Piscataqua. It's Piscataqua. Anyway, um, so Portsmouth does pride itself as an eco-municipality. And and I think we're fairly forward-thinking with with regard to sustainability. Um, The 2018 City Council adopted a comprehensive renewable energy policy that uh, outlines, uh, you know, a path toward becoming net zero energy community. We did a few years ago, before I was on the council, we completed a climate change, um, a climate change vulnerability assessment. I believe it's what it was called um, through a coastal resilience initiative. I believe this was funded by um, NOAA and we were able to model sea level rise impacts throughout the city. And from that we uh, study and project, uh, you know, we determined that our historic district was most vulnerable. So the city looked at impacts to those areas and provided a set of um, adaptation strategies that people can implement to protect their properties. We're working on ways to continue to monitor those impacts. Um, one avenue is with UNH, what I are, which I already mentioned, the university down the road, um, to install monitoring locations to track groundwater in the historic district. And I know that the planning department is drafting 
um, zoning ordinance revisions to our floodplain standards. So we'll have you know two feet of, of freeboard or or we'll add two feet of height to the required base flood elevation for people living in the floodplain, which is more than what FEMA requires. Well, Nancy, I want to fast forward 20 years from now. So March 2039. Nancy, you were dropped in your hopefully still small European city vibe downtown. What do you hope to see and what steps are y'all taking today to get there? Oh, it's so funny you brought that back in because when I, when I when I submitted this application and I and I said that you know some people might think that was sort of like this elitist statement, but what I really meant about it was you know you can sit in Market Square in the heart of downtown and and just sit there and people watch, yeah. which you know when when I travel and when friends travel, that's like the number one thing they love to do, you know in in the small towns and the small cities all across Europe and, and South America too, um, they're, they're built, they're built around, you know, a central church or steeple or square and everything sort of spirals out around it. And that's how our downtown core is. You know, we have our, we have our, um, North church with this iconic, you know, brilliant white steeple, and um, although it's not a plaza or a piazza, it's actually a three-way intersection, which is a total bummer. Um, <laughs> you know, you still sit there, and people watch all day, all night, and just never, never get bored. So I feel like that's the that's the European vibe that we have. But fast forward twenty years, I'm going to tell you what I hope I don't see, and that is that kind of traffic, yeah. surface parking lots. I don't want to see another parking garage. No. I don't want to see individual people driving around in cars, trying to drive right into the heart of downtown and park in front of their favorite store or restaurant. I really hope that in 20 years, we have figured this all out to get cars and vehicles and noise and exhaust out of the place where people should be. So I think we're beginning to address that in Portsmouth. That we're having these conversations. Um, we did just build a second municipal parking garage, but we put it way out on the outskirts of town. It's not in the. It's not in the downtown. Um, it's you know a good ten minute walk outside of downtown, and we are exploring micro transit. We are exploring other rideshare programs, and you know we have a. I think we're going on our third summer now with our partnership with Zagster, a bike share ridership program. And um, I will say, just like just like with arts and culture, um, the average ridership on a bike share per like 1,000 members is it's like 44, 45 percent. And Portsmouth mm-hmm. is at 71. So mm-hmm. we're we like we're overperforming there too. We want people want alternative. Uh, modes of transportation. And so we're figuring out now how to make that happen. We just put, well, we didn't just put, but we're putting together and we'll soon put out an RFP because we're going to be looking for a partner to come in and provide this micro transit, which we envision as, I don't know if it's a short bus or I'm not sure what it looks like, but we, we envision it as a on-demand ride share that can get people, you know, from point to point within the core, but also out to the neighborhoods. So they don't even need to 
bring in their cars in the first place. So, so we're exploring all that. And so my hope is the fruits of these efforts in 20 years will be a really quiet, sweet, beautiful downtown where surface parking lots are now plazas, piazzas, green space, fountains, public art, all those things. Wonderful. So Nancy, final question for you. What is a unique strength of Portsmouth that you think should encourage people to consider voting for y'all? Um, everybody is welcoming. There's a tribe here for everybody. And, and it's just the most truly open, welcoming place that, that I've ever been. And, and I, and I just think that it's, it's the people that live here that make it so unique. Everybody says that everybody says it's the people, but, but this really is the people, not just the people who volunteer, like on city boards and commissions and, and that, but, you know, but like just, the, the, I'll give you two examples. Okay. I'm going to give you two great examples. Um, so development and growth, as I mentioned, that's kind of a, you know, it's expensive here. It's a little bit of a heart heartburn topic. And, and, you know, there's not always nice things that, that are said when your city is going through these, these growing pains, you know, um, we have growing pains because in the 1970s, Urban renewal came and bulldozed a whole a whole section of our downtown, a, a residential area, and, and then the lots sat eight vacant for like three decades or four decades, and now they're slowly beginning to fill in, and those are where the the hotels and the new developments, large scale developments, are, and that's caused you know some issues in the town. So you're not very nice discussions, you know, are happening. And, um, this group of citizens got together. They created a nonprofit called PS 21 stands for Portsmouth smart growth for 21st century. And, um, they just bring forward ideas. They encourage discussion. They don't pick sides, but it's all about planning and growth. And they, they support, you know, a vibrant, sustainable, livable, walkable community. And they bring in nationally known speakers. Jeff Speck has come here. They've brought in, I don't remember this person's name, but he's like the father of tactical urbanism. And they've done demonstration projects to help us imagine, you know, how things could be better at a crosswalk or at a pedestrian mall. That's better days. So, so that, that group has elevated the conversation in a way that I don't think a municipality could ever do. And I just have so much respect for them. And it was just citizens. They weren't elected officials. They were just people who cared about the community. By strong times, we call strong citizens. You know, these are people who care about where they live and want to do what they can to help make it a strong town, whether that's forming a nonprofit or getting involved in the local politics. That's wonderful, Nancy. Well, listeners, I hope you had a wonderful time listening to Nancy give some additional insights into what makes Portsmouth a strong town. If you'd like to vote for Portsmouth, voting is open now. You can go to strongtowns.org slash strongest town and voting closes Friday, April 5th at noon central. Nancy, thank you so much again. This has been a joy. Jacob, thank you for having me. I was way more nervous than I needed to be. This was a lot of fun. Good. Yeah, you just got to be a true leader <laughs> for your town. Awesome. Nancy, thank you. We'll chat very soon. Okay, bye. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. 
Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.